Good morning. Go ahead and be seated. My name is Dan Krause. I'm the lead pastor here at Berean Church. Welcome to all of you in the building and welcome to all of you online. Uh, you can wave. I'm watching. I'm looking right at you. You can wave. Okay. I don't know if you waved or not, actually. Uh, but welcome anyways. It's good to be here with all of you. We are, as Lentrail had brought up, we are in a new series starting today, Forward Taking Ground. And I want to take just a couple of minutes and explain uh, what this series is kind of leading to, what we're talking about here. And, uh, and what, what do we mean by taking ground and moving forward? Well, if you think of like football kind of metaphor, uh, you know, just moving the ball down the field into enemy territory. Or if you're a military person in a battle, is, is moving the front line forward into enemy territory. Uh, and that's what we mean. We, we, we're, we're hoping that the Lord is going to use this as a catalyst to move us as Berean Baptist Church forward as we take ground from our enemy. Friends, we live in, in the middle of a, a neighborhoods, right? There, there are neighborhoods all around us, and filled with these neighborhoods are people that desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear it, they need to see it, they need to witness it, they need to feel it, they need, they need, they need to see it from us, right? That's why God's got us right here on Middle Belleville Road for a reason, and I believe that reason is to reach those people who are around us, and we want to go forward and take ground from the enemy there. Uh, as, as we talk about this, going forward, I think it'd be helpful to, be, uh, to talk a little bit about where we're at and, uh, and, and kind of how we're going to be heading forward. So I got here just a little bit over a year ago and prayed about, you know, Lord, where do we need to make changes? How would you have me to lead um, over the next like one, two, and five years? And, and, and I have some goals that I'd like to kind of share with you today and give you a little bit of an update. First of all, uh, the first year, I really wanted to focus in on staffing uh, to make sure, you know, we have the right team in place to move forward, that everybody's on board and everybody's wanting to, uh, uh, to work together. And, and we've made a couple of uh, um, uh, uh, additions. We had a couple of people uh, join us this last year, uh, Lentrell and Pastor Isaiah and Alex uh, Rivas have all joined us in this last year and, and are joining us. And, and I got to tell you, God is really doing something and kind of uh, uh, molding this staff together. Uh, Pastor Jim Barry, is he in here? That's two services in a row, Pastor Jim. That's going to come up in your next review. Um, somebody tell him I said that, please. Actually, nobody tell him I said that. We'll see if he watches online later on. So anyways, Pastor Jim Barry, he's been on staff here in some way, shape, or form since like 1985. Um, that year, I was eight years old. Um, sorry, Jim. But uh, uh, Jim got up in a staff meeting not long ago and made the, the comment that in all of his time here on staff, and that's a lot of time, he has never seen the staff as united as it is right now. And God is just doing a work in the staff. And I'll tell you, it's super exciting to be a part of. The next, the next kind of uh, a goal or, or uh, what I wanted to focus in on was structure and systems. You know, to make sure that we have the ability... Uh, to, to do what God wants us to do, that we are organizationally sound, and that we have the right systems and structures in place. And that includes things like uh, uh, the facility. You know, our, is the facility what it needs to be in order for us to move forward in our community? And, in, and that's a big part of this capital campaign that we're, that we're unveiling, and we have a Giving Sunday coming up May 2nd. I'm not going to talk about that too much. Uh, we've got information in the lobby on that, and you can grab a booklet or watch the slides on the screen there to get kind of up to date with what I'm talking about as far as the facility. But it's also programmatic uh, when it comes to structure and systems. Uh, one part, Lentrell already brought up, next steps. 
Uh, we want to have an on, on board or on a ramp for people to kind of come and join us here at Berean Baptist Church. And that ramp that we are creating and we're going to be using is the Next Steps kind of class. And uh, in that class, you're going to hear about kind of our doctrines and, and our beliefs. And also, you're going to hear about ways that you can connect and become more active here at Berean. So that's one part of it. Another one is something called Foundations that uh, most of you probably haven't heard of yet. Foundations is, is going to be the primary tool that we use to, um, for discipleship within our midst. Uh, we really believe that God wants us to grow, but also He wants us to grow spiritually as, as individuals. God wants us to take steps to become more like Jesus. And Foundations is a tool that I'm hoping that in the next year or so, all of you will be able to have access to and use in your own discipleship and uh, as you are discipling others, I hope as well. So those are the kind of the, the systems and structures that we're referring to. Um, also, uh, small groups, kind of almost non-existent here uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the recent past. That's something that we're wanting to step into full throttle. And, and what we're going to be doing here is establishing missional communities that we hope to be launching by this fall. So we're hoping that all of you uh, by this fall will be able to join a missional community. Some of you maybe even lead or host one at your home. So that's kind of what's coming with systems and structures. And the final, the final one is a, um, sustained growth. Now when I say growth, I don't want you to think that we're trying to become the biggest church in Mansfield. Uh, frankly, that, that's, that's, that's kind of irrelevant in, excuse me, in some ways. What we're thinking, growth, we're, we're, we're talking about two types of growth. Number one is spiritual growth, as I already kind of mentioned. We want all of us to be taking steps to become more like Jesus. We all want to grow and become more like Christ. But we also want to see some numerical growth. Why? Because the people around us, it's an indication that we're reaching our neighbors. Now what we don't want to do is, is grow as a body by people leaving their church that's preaching the gospel and having them to come here at Berean. That's kind of reshuffling the deck and it really isn't super helpful. Listen, if you're here as a guest with somebody today or you're watching online and you are part of a, a Bible preaching church, stay there. Get active. Help them grow and take ground into uh, the, the enemy territory. But if you are uh, new to the area or maybe you're exploring your faith and you don't have a church yet, I'd encourage you to consider staying here with us and uh, I go on what I think is going to be an adventure of a lifetime over these next few years. So uh, again, we, that's the sustained growth part of things. God is already doing so much work. By the way, all those things, the staffing, the structure, uh, uh, the systems, and the sustained growth, God forbid we do any of it on our own power. Right? We don't, we don't need to have a church of 20,000 people if we're, if we're doing it on our own power. In fact, that would be bad. What we do here, we want to do through the power of God. This is His church. There, there are no stars here outside of Jesus Christ. Okay, This is His church, this is His kingdom, and we get to be a part of it. We get to join Him on it. And what really excites me about this is none of it's going to happen if we stay safe. None of it's going to take place if we stay safe. If we say, wow, God, I can't wait to watch what you do, and we decide to stay back here and just kind of watch from a distance, we got to step out in faith and say, you know what? I choose faith over fear. I want to be part of something incredible. 
I want to be a part of a movement of God. I want to see revival in my lifetime. I want to see revival in Mansfield. I want to see revival in Ohio and revival in the United States. And that doesn't happen when Christians stay safe. It happens when we come out to the edge and we say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you're asking me to do, yes. The answer is yes, I will go where you ask me to go, even though I know on my own strength I'll never make it. As a matter of fact, especially if I know on my own strength I'll never make it, because that's where we see God move. Uh, many of you know I moved here from Alaska, and there's so many Alaskan stories, so forgive me if I've shared this one. But there was, a, I don't think I have. I was on a fishing trip, and uh, we were fishing uh, in, a, in a place called Naknak, and we went out to something um, uh, out in the Katmai National Park, and you had to cross this giant lake. And when I say lake, it, it looks more like a, a great lake. So it's a very large lake. It was, a, it was a, like a several-hour boat ride in about a 21-foot boat. And we went out there. We had a great day, and we were fishing all day, catching. I mean, if you're a fisherman, this is like paradise. We're talking huge salmon and grayling and trout and brown bears that want to eat you. Um, so it's an adventure. Well, I thought that adventure was over. We climbed back in the boat to go back to our camp where we were staying for the night. And just as we kind of got out into the open water of the, of, of the lake, the, the storm blew in. Now, when I say a storm blew in, I, I mean in this lake, the swells were probably 8 to 10 feet. So in a lake. And we're in a 21-foot boat with like 10 guys in it. And it wasn't a good situation. And, I'm, and, and in about hour three of the storm, I started to get pretty nervous. As I was looking at the distant shore and I was looking at the rivet starting to move a little bit in the boat, I realized the water's too cold, none of us would ever make it to the shore. There'd be zero chance. And I looked around and I find the little, you know, the, the life preservers. And I gotta tell you, I was pretty grateful for those life preservers right then in that moment. That might have literally gonna be the thing that was gonna save our lives. You know, it's not until we get into the super rocky seas of life that we realize just how dependent and how much we need Jesus Christ. Friends, it is good for us to be in the storm. Did you know that? It is good for us to be in the storm and in the rocking of the waves just so long as we are there because we are being obedient to Christ. But how often do we say, nope, nope, it's getting, the waves are getting high, get to the shore now. How often do we do that when we feel like God's calling us to do something and we say, the waves, they're getting too tall for this boat that I'm in. Get me to the shore. We won't survive. You might say that's wisdom, but only if you're in that boat on your own power. If you're going with Christ, there is no storm that you should fear. If you're moving somewhere because God has called you into that movement, move with confidence. It's His battle. It's His boat. It's your, His life. Follow him with reckless abandon. He is trustworthy. That's the kind of life I want to lead, by the way. The kind of life that makes my wife nervous. <laughs> Where we say, you know what? Yes, God. Whatever you ask me to do. You ask me to come to this edge. And you know what? I might fall and Toby's getting nervous. But <laughs> will you pick me up if I fall? No, thanks. I need better friends. Um, you know, we need to get to that point, though, where we say, you know what, God? I'm here at the edge. And if you don't do something, I'm going to fail and I'm going to fall. Because that's where we get to see God and experience Him 
fully is when we follow him into those moments. You know, I think about people in our congregation that I know I said, you know what, with reckless abandon, God, this doesn't make sense, but yes. And I'm sorry for saying, Connells, I'm sorry for calling you out in front of everybody, but I'm going to anyways, okay, since I just did. You know, I think about you guys who, you know, you, you good jobs, good stable, you know, where you're at in a foundation, and, but you feel like God's calling you into something different, something scary, something that you don't know of, and you say, God, we don't get it, but yes. And that gives us so much confidence, and that helps our faith as a church body watch you guys, and even know that in this, yes, there's still a storm, there's still waves, there's still things that disappoint, there's still things that are scary. You keep saying, yes, God, I want to meet you right here. Because I want to see something incredible happen. I don't know about you. I'm not scared of dying. Not even a little bit. This whole COVID thing doesn't frighten me even in the slightest. What I'm afraid of is going to the grave without seeing a revival. Without experiencing a change in my own life. Without seeing people step from death unto life. I'm scared of going to the grave not having an adventure with God. That's what gets me scared. I want to live on the edge. I want to see God move. Friends, our neighbors, our family so desperately needs Jesus Christ and they need us to show them. Are we going to be afraid to move forward? Or are we going to move forward in faith in the confidence and the power of God? I want to do that. That was a long introduction. Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. And if you join me in prayer. God, thank you for the waves. I don't even know how much I need you until I experience the storm. I don't even know how desperate I am for your power to be in my life until I stand powerless. I don't even know how much I need your confidence until I'm filled, filled with fear and with fright. But God, what an incredible adventure. What an incredible ride. What an incredible opportunity to really live, to really experience but to walk in your confidence and walk in faith. God, as we open this series and open our text today, may you help us take a step closer to you. May your spirit guide us into all understanding, into all truth. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Now I want to kind of set the scene here, what we're talking about and what's happening. Uh, Moses, of course, was uh, selected and called by God to to bring out the children of Israel from captivity in Egypt. Uh, many of you know the story where you have Joseph uh, several years earlier who is sold into slavery by his brothers. 
and uh, he winds up in Egypt. A lot of stuff happens during that time, and I'm not going to go into all the detail, but essentially he becomes uh, the number two just below Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And because of that, he's able to bring back his entire family through really hard times, and the nation of Israel is now in Egypt. Uh, A couple generations go by, and now you have a Pharaoh who doesn't remember Joseph and what he had meant to the Egyptians, and all he saw Israel as, it was a burden. So he wanted to wipe them out, so he used them as, as, as uh, slaves, and they killed the, the, the males that were born. Well, through the cries and the prayers of the children of Israel, God brings about Moses to bring the people out of bondage and into a promised land. So through that, through all these plagues that happen, you guys know the story again probably, and uh, they, they actually finally leave uh, Egypt, and they go through the, the, the Red Sea on dry ground, and uh, the, 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 um, the warriors of Egypt get swallowed up and drowned in the Red Sea after, as they were pursuing them. And now they're in the wilderness headed to uh, uh, the, this promised land. Uh, where this, pl- where this uh, uh, um, uh, story takes place is in about anywhere from years one to two uh, of that time in the wilderness before they're going in to occupy Israel. And now the children of Israel have kind of come together and they prayed and, and they wanted to send out spies into the land. And, and God apparently hears their prayers and comes to Moses and says, hey, this is what I want you to do. So now you're caught up with where we're at. So go spy out the land. And the first thing I want to bring up about our text today is that, that what, what we can see is God's directives are clear. God's directives here in this story are incredibly clear, exactly what he wanted them to do. Uh, according to Deuteronomy 1, and 23, and this is what I alluded to, uh, this is in response to the people wanting to take a look at the land to spy it out. And God apparently granted them their wish to spy the land. So listen to Deuteronomy 1, 22 and 23. Uh, then all of you came near me and said, this is Moses speaking, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again uh, of the way by which we must go up in, the, uh, up in the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took 12 men from, uh, from you, one man from each tribe. Uh, God promised them that, that he's going to deliver in this text. You know, he gives very clear instructions, he gives very clear directives, and he says, listen, this is the land that I'm going to give. He says, uh, which I am giving to the people of Israel. There was nothing really to fear. They've already seen God bring about these plagues. They'd already seen God take it and dry up the Red Sea and then drown an Egyptian army in it. They've already seen God do that in their recent uh, past. Like, this wasn't like generations ago. They all saw it with their own eyes. And now God says, this is the land that I'm going to give you. Here are my directives to go and to uh, uh, do what I say. And Moses obediently does as he's told. He says, all right, Lord, I'm going to get 12 people, 12 guys, uh, leaders in each one of the tribes, and we're going to send them out and do exactly what you asked us to do. You know, are God's directives to us just as clear as they, are, they were here in this story? Do you ever find yourself saying, man, I wish I knew what God wanted me to do? Here's the thing. God's directives in general are just as clear for us in the church today. We know some of the things that God has directed us to do. We can be confident in some of the things that God has directed us to do. The Bible is clear about it. Uh, you know, some of these things come up from our purpose statement, which ultimately comes from the scripture. But we know that God wants us to enjoy him together. He wants us to come and to fellowship and to to praise Him and to worship Him and bring glory to Him together. We know that this is a clear directive from God, right? 
We know that He wants us to grow in our own walk, in our own grace and truth. He wants us to grow. This is clear. This is clear throughout Scriptures that God wants us to do that. We know that He wants us to reach out and, and, and share the Gospel with our surrounding neighborhood and the world beyond. Nobody really argues against those things. We know that these are directives from God for the church today. As a pastor, I know that it's very clear that God wants me uh, to preach a sound doctrine and not come up here and just say whatever it is I want to say. He wants me to preach His Word and, and He wants me to do so with sound doctrine. This is a clear directive from God. What isn't as clear sometimes is the method by which we do these things, right? But why is it that we get so hung up as a church so frequently on methods that we fail to follow the clear directives? Do you know we do that as a church, like capital C? The worldwide church? How often does this happen? Where we get so caught up on, that's not how we should do it. Listen, let's just move forward. Let's, and if our method that we're using doesn't work, let's change our method. We have a clear directive from God. We know what He's called us to do. We don't have to sit on our hands and guess what's going to happen. We need to step out on faith and say, you know what, we're going to try this new thing. We're going to try this method. We're going to make this change. But whatever it is that we're going to do, we're going to do it moving forward. Why? Because God told us to. We can't keep getting so caught up on methods that we, we, we end up not taking and doing what we've been directed to do as followers of Jesus Christ. But as we go, as we do these things, we need to remember this, and we see this in our text, that God is in the details. We don't always have to worry about every little detail. God is in the details. Numbers 13, 3-16, and I'm not going to read the whole portion of this text. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them, men who were heads of the people of Israel. And then it gives you all of their names, ending with this verse in 16. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent out to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So at the end here, Joshua gets his new name. He was born Hosea. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But we have an actual list of actual names of the people who are sent out to spy out the land. I mean, that's some serious uh, details right there. That all of these years later, thousands of years later, preserved in the Word of God, are the individual names of the 12 people that were sent out to spy out the land. You know, if you're reading through the Bible and you get to Leviticus, I know how many people quit right there. <laughs> They're like, um, I'm just going to go to the New Testament. You know, all these genealogies and stuff. Listen, it's incredible that the, all of these individual names have been preserved. God is in the details. He's in the details. As I mentioned, Moses changed the name. Uh, I would say God, through Moses, changed the name of Hosea to Joshua. And, and this is an interesting detail as well. The name Hosea means desire for salvation. Desire for salvation. And if you think about his life and being born into captivity, desire for salvation would be a good name. And then, isn't it interesting that his name gets changed to Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. They have found their salvation in the Lord. Even revealing, even God is in the details, even uh, in a name, God reveals something to those who would listen. And then he gives specific instructions to these guys to send out uh, uh, the 12 people. Uh, he says, a leader from each tribe to have them spy out the land, for 40 days. 
Now we know as a church that God has a general revealed will for us to share his life with our community, right? Again, there's really nobody, whether you're Calvinist or Arminian or whatever, somewhere in between, there's really no argument uh, from somebody who really studies scriptures that we, that we shouldn't be sharing our faith with others. It's a clear directive as you can possibly come to that we ought to be obedient to Christ by sharing our faith with those who are around us. Uh, you know, we don't necessarily have the expressed details in the text on how we go about to, uh, uh, to do that and to be obedient other than just to do it. We know that we need to be praying. We know that we need to be learning and we need to be acting and moving forward to the best of our abilities. We know that. But as we go, we need to trust that God is in the details. But we also need to know that we aren't on our own. Man, sometimes it feels like we are, doesn't it? Uh, You know, sometimes when we're on the edge, when we're on the verge in life, and we think we're being obedient to God and we're doing all that we can to be obedient to God, man, every once in a while it feels kind of lonely. But man, that's where we really experience and see God. As long as we're following Him and, and moving forward by His power, we aren't alone. And what we'll see here is what the, the children of Israel, I believe, saw, and that's God's incredible provision. God's incredible provision. The instructions for the men, again, uh, Numbers 3, 17-20, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up to the Negev and uh, go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether these are tre- there are trees or in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time of the season... Um, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. You know, Moses, like a good leader, he wanted a report of the land. What was out there? Who was there? Were they in encampments? Was there a stronghold? Uh, what does the land look like? What's the landscape look like? Moses wanted to have all that information so that he could formulate a plan to go and to take the land that God has given them. Uh, you know, he, he wanted to, uh, you notice that when he sends, that, sends them, he doesn't ask them if they should go and occupy it. Moses didn't say, hey, go check out the land to see if we should go. No, he says, go check out the land and give us a report. Why? Because he fully intended on going and taking that land that God had given them. The land that they had uh, found uh, was, was full of resources. It was rich with resources. In fact, it's one of the most fertile places on earth that God had given the children of Israel. He has incredible provision. Listen to verse 23. And they came to the valley of Eshcol, and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought up some pomegranates and figs. We're talking very fertile ground. A cluster of grapes that took two people to carry. Verses 25 through 27, at the end of 40 days that they were commanded to go out there, uh, they returned from the spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and, with, with, and this is its fruit. So they come back with the spoils of the land and the, this report of this land drew, truly is fertile. 
God really is providing. It's an incredible land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, enormous grapes. Friends, God gives us so much more than we desire or need or deserve, right? He's a good Father. He gives us more than we deserve. If we were only to trust Him, say, God, we know You're good, but are we going to act on it? Are we going to believe it? Are we going to move forward into the storm? This is the next point we find in our text. And it's a sad one. God's express directives are in competition with the sinfulness of men. God's express directives are in competition with the sinfulness of men. Numbers 13, 28, and 29. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. This is the second part of the report. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of the Anak there, and the, Amalek- the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. The saddest word that could be in this text, however, We've seen the goodness of God. We've seen what He is going to give us. We've seen how He's going to provide. However, we're scared. Because we've also seen the storm. We saw the enemy. We saw the challenge. And it was too big. We're scared. We can't move forward. One of the saddest words in Scriptures is however. God gave clear directives. His provision was 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 incredible beyond comprehension however and because of this however these children weren't going to take hold of this ground this promised land the one that God was going to do the work to give to them we find out in the next chapter in chapter 14 verses 30 through 33 it says this not one shall come into the land uh, where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. None. They were the two out of the twelve that said, let's go, let's take it. But your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall, shall suffer for you for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. They missed out on so much because they were, they, were, they were locked in their fear and didn't move out in faith. Because God has done so much in their lifetime, but they let fear destroy what God was going to give them. They missed out on it because of fear. They, they were driven by fear instead of faith. The thing about fear is, fear tends to be hyperbolic too, doesn't it? You go to the worst possible scenario with fear. Listen to verses 31 through 33. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it were of great height. There's tall people. We can't take it. And there, there we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. They say, we can never take this land. We're nothing but grasshoppers. They're going to stomp us out and kill us. Can you imagine... After everything they have seen, 
We're nothing but grasshoppers, guys. I wonder how often we do this as Christians again. Yeah, God, I know, I feel like you might be asking me to do this thing, but who am I? You know, I can't speak well. I don't have the education. I don't have the background. I've got this family to take care of. You know, people are going to think again that I'm a hypocrite if I go and I do this thing. At the end of the day, I'm just a grasshopper. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't stand up to what you've asked me to do. Do you know when we say that we aren't strong enough, what we're really saying is you're not strong enough? Do you know that when we say to our Father God that we can't, we're saying in actuality that He can't. And just like the children of Israel, we miss out. We miss out on an adventure. We miss out of being out on the edge and seeing God do the incredible. We miss out on the miraculous. We miss out because we say, God, you can't do it. Because you're not strong enough. Probably none of us would actually ever say those words, right? But you realize that's exactly what we're doing when we say no to God because of our own insecurities about our lives. Listen, it's not about you. It never has been. It's not about your strength. As a matter of fact, it's about your weakness and the power of God. That's what it's about. Step out onto the edge. Ride the waves. Because that's where we're going to see God do the incredible. What has God called you to that fear has kept you from? What has God called you to that fear has kept you from? Don't let fear be your guiding force. What could we do as a church if we operated in the confidence of God's leading and the confidence of God's power and we weren't afraid of failure? What could we do as a church if we just made a habit of saying, yes, God, we want to be out here on that edge where if, if, if you don't catch us, we're in trouble. Because that's where we need to be. What would it look like if we weren't afraid of failing? That's where we need to be. Numbers 13, verse 20. And whether the land is rich or poor, asking about the report again, whether there are trees in it or not, now these next four words we need to underline and we need to put it on our mirrors and we need to, we need to put it in our wallets and our purses and, and everywhere else. Be of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be as scared. Stop making up excuses. Stop saying that you aren't enough. Stop saying that you don't have the strength. Listen, you are a child of God and the power that rose Jesus from the grave indwells in you. And when you say you're not strong enough, you're saying that power that rose Jesus from the grave isn't powerful enough. Stop saying it. Move forward with confidence and live on the edge and watch what God will do in your life. Watch what God will do in your life. Be of good courage. Friends, we know that God has a general revealed will and, and for us to share His love with our community. We know this. We don't have to have a study. I don't need to put together a committee. We know it. We know it that God has, has for us to go and to reach our neighbors. Are we going to do it? Or are we going to let fear stop us? Verse 30 and 13 but Caleb quieted the people, this is after the bad report, quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, 
for we are well able to overcome it. What's Caleb saying? Hey, listen, don't, tell, don't listen to these ten cowards. Don't listen to these ten cowards. We have the power of God. He helped us to escape captivity. He brought on those plagues. He drowned an Egyptian army. What do we have to fear? We aren't grasshoppers. You know what makes us different than grasshoppers? Our king. That's what makes us different is our king. So let's go take the land. Friends, in a world filled with sin and fear, be a Caleb. Be a Joshua. If everybody else around you says it's too big a mountain to take, say, yeah, but you haven't seen my God and what he can do. Let's go. Let's move forward. Let's move confidently towards what God has called us to do. And let's do so in his power. Friends, we are not grasshoppers. We are children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thanks, Luntrell. <laughs> I'm going to ask the band to come up as we close. Friends, no giant can stand before our God. Now, make no mistake, if you go and try to tackle all of the giants on your own power, you're probably going to be in trouble. Don't do that. Don't go where God isn't calling you. Because that's going to be problematic. But if you go where God is calling you, if you're going in obedience, go in the power of God and nothing, nothing will prevail against you because nothing will prevail against Him. And it's in His power that we go. Friends, because Jesus defeated the two biggest giants we will ever encounter in sin and death, we have nothing to fear. Sin and death have already been conquered. There's already victory over it. We have nothing to fear. We of all people, as children of the King, can move forward with confidence in the power of God. In Christ, we will have victory. We'll face the storms, but we will have victory. In Christ, the enemy will never be able to stand against us no matter how tall he is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your power. God, I so desperately want to be on an adventure of a lifetime with your children as we stand and we walk in your power that's been given to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God, help us to see revival in our own hearts and help us to use those new hearts, God, and bring revival in our community. God, don't let us be a church on the sidelines, afraid to move. Let us be a church of action. Let us be a church of courage. Let us be a church that is confident in your power and in your calling. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.